Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of the Y Festival podcast. I am still Treen, I am still going to be your host and today is our second episode and we are talking about climate justice this time. So last week, uh, last time we covered um, social justice, which is let's say the basis of uh, all the topics that we are going to be covering from now on. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, then maybe begin from there. But I think uh, all of this should be basically still understood even without listening to all of them in sequence. The structure of the podcast today is going to be uh, similar to the last one. So uh, first uh, I'm going to uh, broadly talk about what climate justice is in essence, uh, why talking about it is important and what are the specifics of the climate justice uh, debate or the problems that are specific to the Baltic region. Then we are going to hear a short interview. This time it's going to be with um, both a facilitator and uh, and also a participant of of the Fridays for Future uh, panel discussion uh, that was held uh, at Vibla during the festival. And it's one of the members of the FFF in uh, Estonia. Uh, her name is Kertu. And she will be talking about the movement here in Estonia and also their uh, ties with the movement um, in Lithuania and Latvia. And after that, as always, uh, I am going to talk about what you can do, mention some of the organizations that deal with these topics. A longer list, uh, as always, is going to be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, basically the last part is what you can do yourself to make all these things better. But now let's get to today's topic itself. So, what exactly is climate justice? Well, climate justice itself is a term that is uh, used to frame the global warming that is happening as an ethical and political issue rather than one that is purely environmental or physical in nature. Activists are trying to achieve climate justice um, by relating the causes and effects of climate change, uh, including the effects of responses to the changes, uh, to the concept of justice, particularly environmental justice and social justice. So therefore, climate justice itself examines uh, concepts such as equality, human rights, collective rights, and also the historical responsibilities for climate change. Activists are also trying to link uh, this climate justice movement uh, to human rights, uh, and um, they're trying to achieve a more human-centered approach to the problem, because a very important part uh, of the climate justice debate is safeguarding the rights of the people who are in many other ways also the most vulnerable, who are getting the short end of the stick, so to say, because the people who are the most vulnerable in many other categories that are discussed in the social justice episode are also most vulnerable and they suffer most uh, with this, uh, with the climate problems too. So activists are trying to safeguard the rights of these people and also to share the burdens and also the benefits of climate change uh, 
and its impacts uh, equitably and fairly. Talking about the most vulnerable people, historically marginalized communities such as women, indigenous communities and uh, communities of color are often the ones who um, face the worst consequences of climate change. They, they feel it more strongly than others, it is more prob- problematic for them and they suffer the gravest consequences. So basically those who are marginalized uh, are the ones who are least responsible for climate change itself, but they suffer the worst consequences. So as we talked about, uh, the people who are marginalized, their voice is not heard, they are mostly not part of the uh, part of the groups of people who get to make the decisions, uh, but they are the ones who are shouldering the burdens. Also another important thing to say here is these people who are already quite um, vulnerable, they can be further disadvantaged by the responses to climate change and that might uh, either reproduce or even exacerbate um, already existing inequalities. So to say all of this in one sentence, marginalized communities uh, do not get to decide the processes that um, make climate change happen, basically. They have to suffer the consequences, and these consequences might make uh, them even more marginalized and make the quality of their lives even worse. So that's one of the most awful parts of this uh, discussion, I'd say. To talk about the term itself, climate justice, uh, this uh, originated from another environmental concept, environmental justice. And that uh, began to be discussed in the USA in the 1960s with the aim of ensuring that um, the black people and minority groups uh, living on the outskirts of North American cities also had the right to breathe fresh air, um, they should be less exposed to toxic waste and they should have access to good quality healthcare. But over the years, as climate change discussions have intensified, at the UN, the United Nations, uh, the concept of environmental justice has evolved to be named climate justice because it's the concept has gotten wider and now it needs a wider term. Very briefly, I'd also like to cover the timeline of uh, climate change uh, discourse. So how did all of this start, because I think it's somewhat important to understand uh, the roots or, or the beginnings of this movement. So the 1960s and 1970s, small groups of scientists already were uh, researching the topic, talking about it, but climate change discourse at these uh, times was still quite limited uh, to scientific circles only. So next, in the 80s and 90s, uh, the discourse uh, was uh, modernized a bit. So it expanded beyond the scientific domain, also to the agendas of politicians, environment ministers, international development agencies, policy analysts, the public, and also environmental organizations. But during these times, the idea of climate change was still considered somewhat radical, there were not so many studies, not, not many people believed in it. So during these decades, uh, people tried to argue that um, environmental problems are not the result of uh, deep economic structures, but mostly um, 
the result of capitalism's failure to internalize environmental costs. So basically to just take environmental costs into the cost of production. They believe that environmental woes can be mitigated through the modernization of um, economy, maybe uh, affixing a price to ecological damage. And that was uh, the discourse at the time. So now we get to uh, the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s, where we meet for the first time a discourse that is sadly all too prevalent still today, 20-30 years later. It is, of course, uh, the counter-discourse of climate change denial. So it had already started uh, to take form by the late 80s, but now, uh, end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s, um, uh, they were quickly uh, trying to assume a position of dominance. This uh, climate change denial discourse uh, has its roots um, in uh, conservative political movements that uh, resurged in the 60s and 70s in response to increased uh, government intervention in social and economic matters and also the emergence of several liberal social movements including environmentalism, feminism, the civil rights movement. So basically the conservatives were pissed that uh, people are trying to make the world a better place let's say because I assume most of us are most of us listening to this are quite liberal so we do not uh, relate too much to the conservative way of thinking but uh, yeah they felt like the government is um, inter- intervening too much in matters that should not be intervened in and besides conservatives um, it was also shaped uh, this climate change denial discourse by environmental skepticisms and this skepticism in a large part uh, was a reaction to the growth of global environmentalism and its perceived capacity to undermine the conservative socio-economic principles and the modern western progress in general so basically they thought that if the environmentalists were left to run rampage basically if they're principles um, were to gain more ground uh, in the politician's eyes and make make their way more into the laws, then we can't uh, keep uh, growing our economies and the Western progress mentioned here would basically slow down or halt even. In my opinion, this is a quite um, interesting way of seeing these things as uh, economic growth cannot be permanent we can't uh, keep moving uh, upwards uh, but this uh, this progress and and economic growth um, we are going to be discussing more in our next episode that is uh, economic justice uh, i already have recorded a very very interesting interview with Lilian Bungas who led um, several different uh, discussion groups several different workshops at Vibla and she has given me a very interesting and I think uh, easy to understand insight into this um, topic. So a little plug, also listen to the next episode. I think it's going to make this part of the climate justice uh, discourse a bit more clear. But coming back to the environmental skepticism, 
that was also led by a deep, a deep suspicion of the legitimacy of environmental problems and scientific evidence for their existence. So basically, they just they said that there are just um, not enough scientific evidence to back up these claims that the environment is uh, is getting worse and worse by hmm, basically the hour, I would say. So no scientific evidence, no proof, no problems. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Not really, because if we are moving uh, to the next uh, period of time, 21st century, we already have quite a lot of um, scientific evidence, like very hardcore scientific evidence that should not be discarded. These people still somehow don't believe that um, climate change is a real thing. So I don't know how they um, decided that, oh, not enough evidence, not enough evidence, plenty of evidence, but uh, now let's just not look at it. What's, what is the thought process there? I do not know. But coming to the 21st century, this is the time when climate justice discourse got its name. During this time, many of the people who are most impacted by climate change felt uh, discontent. And their discontent um, stemmed primarily from the belief that uh, the dominant uh, climate modernization approach uh, was failing to adequately address climate-related inequities. So, as, as I mentioned before, the most marginalized groups who do not contribute to climate change too much, they are the people who are the most vulnerable to the effects of climate change. And also, during the 21st century, some countries also started to experience the first real impacts of climate change. So, for example, Hurricane Katrina in the United States... Uh, Many, many wildfires in Australia, also a very devastating one, took place earlier this year, at the beginning of 2020. Uh, some floods in India, Nepal and Bangladesh, and others have started to take place also during the past 20 years or so. so this is the very, very short and general overview of the climate justice movement's roots. So maybe that'll give you a little bit of a better sense of where these um, where this discussion stems from now let's get to the part of why it's important to talk about uh, climate justice and here i'm going to be mainly focusing on on the baltic contexts on the topic of why it's important to talk about climate justice well as of now we only have one planet we only have this one planet's resources that we have been using very, very liberally, with not much idea of what's going to come in the future when these resources deplete. And if humanity still wants to live on this one planet, our lovely planet called Earth, then we need to start changing um, our behaviors quite quickly. And this is not something that is going to be like far away in the future. Different estimates say that even though already we have done quite a lot of damage to the planet, to the environment, that irreparable damage when we can't turn back is only 12 or so years away. So that is like in political years, that is basically the day after tomorrow, because we know politics move quite slowly, sadly, and... Um, Radical ideas that could change. The discourse are not very easily implemented. 
So that's why we have to already act today. Well, we already had to act yesterday, but um, today is better than tomorrow, which we might not have if this continues to be such a huge problem. So coming to the Baltic context, I think that climate justice here is somewhat hard to see as most of the current victims who are already feeling the very real changes and processes that have started taking place live in uh, warmer climates and uh, poorer countries. So here it's uh, somewhat harder to make people care also because mm, the changes in climate are somewhat um, desirable even in our climate. So who doesn't want warmer and longer summers? Uh, on the contrary, also we get now uh, with every year less and less snow in the winter. But all in all, we do not feel many changes here in the Baltic states because we are, I'd say, placed quite well in the world. But even if we don't feel the real uh, climate change, like the changing of the weather and so on, climate change itself in, in different ways also influences us here, for example, since uh, some of the countries in the Middle Eastern areas have been hit quite badly with the effects of climate change, the real physical world effects, then that is also a huge uh, contribution to the migrant crisis that started um, around five years ago. Many, many people came to Europe looking for a better life, a better place to live, and that itself gave way to the rise of far-right political movements, also in the Baltic states, uh, I can talk about Estonia, where the current uh, alt-right conservative party ECRE, basically Estonian Conservative People's Party in English, who got elected to the parliament in 2015 because um, they had uh, their political views based on the fact that, oh no, Estonia is so small, we are now... We now have to take in all these migrants uh, who are coming to change our culture forever. At first glance, uh, you might not see this as a climate justice issue. But if you look at the roots of the migrant crisis, the, these roots are also in, in climate change. And since the migration crisis also gave more way to, to far-right politicians and, uh, and gave more platform to their voices... Now we are facing these problems due to the climate crisis. I hope this makes sense to you as well. Also, another way this can be seen is that it shows how closely linked together climate justice and human rights are. Because everybody should have a right to uh, live in their own country. But if your country is more and more hostile, if its environment is more and more hostile, it becomes more and more unlivable with each passing uh, year, then of course people want to move and, uh, and get a better life somewhere else. So even if these consequences of climate change are not physically visible here in the Baltic states, then we still get these ripple effects that come from uh, climate change and, and that also very much touches our daily lives every day because of politics. So now coming to some of the environmental problems we here in the Baltics uh, experience, not necessarily related to climate change, but contributing to it. 
one really bad problem is uh, clear cutting. So the forests are being taken down. So as we know, forests are really good. They are really good at dealing with carbon emissions because um, trees basically bind the carbon dioxide that uh, comes from planes and cars and factories and is uh, harmful to the environment. Carbon dioxide itself is bad because it causes the greenhouse effect and that basically is what causes our climate to heat up. So our planet basically becomes a huge, huge greenhouse. So another problem we here in Estonia face um, comes from the oil shale industry that we use to make our electricity. These factories um, have quite the environmental impact because it can um, create both water and air pollution from the extraction and the processing of oil shale to make electricity out of it. And the burning of oil shale is um, creating harmful atmospheric emissions. So also another source of carbon dioxide, a major greenhouse gas. And it would be important to mention here that these oil shale factories, um, the pollution from them also affects both Finland and Russia, the neighboring countries, to eastern Estonia, where the, most of the factories are currently located. So they still get their share of the air pollution and even some of the effects from the water pollution caused by these factories. Talking about the oil shale industry uh, with a few more words, uh, something positive that is currently happening is that um, young Estonian climate activists from the Fridays for Future Estonia, uh, they are currently suing basically to seek the annulment of a permit uh, that was issued to Estonian state-owned energy group um, Estonian Energy for the construction of a new oil shale plant. We already have several, they want to make a new one. So this is still ongoing uh, at the current time in December in 2020. Nothing major has come out of it yet, but we'll see how this goes, hopefully well. So in conclusion, talking about uh, climate justice and climate change here in the Baltics, um, the worst is yet to come. What a positive sentence, yeah? So we do not get most of the physical effects as of just yet, but already getting some of the political ripples here. So now that we have covered uh, basically very, very broadly what the climate uh, justice is, where its roots are, what are some of the main problems, let's move on to the interview with Gertu who is uh, part of the Fridays for Future movement that I already mentioned. Uh, she's part of it in Estonia, and she will talk briefly about the movement, what they do, what are their problems, and I'll let her take it from here. So now I'm here with one of the panelists from the Fridays for Future panel discussion. So hi, Gertu, how long have you been uh, involved with the Fridays for Future um, climate campaign? Well, I became involved in it uh, in March uh, 2019, or maybe February. So that was uh, quite in the beginning of the movement in Estonia and actually uh, in all the Baltic states. And so, yeah, I've been active in the movement for almost one and a half years now. Okay, and uh, what is it exactly that you do, you yourself and, uh, and in the movement uh, moreover? Well, my roles in the movement, I have plenty of them. Um, 
I give uh, guest lectures sometimes at schools. Then I help organize uh, various events, strikes, and actually other events too. Uh, I'm also in this working group uh, where we try to um, establish a structure inside our movement so our movement could become more and more efficient and uh, we wouldn't burn through and so on. And I, I'm also the manager of the Facebook site. Uh, so so I'm curating what people actually see um, about us. But yeah, in our movement, we have a, a lot more other roles too. People who are managing, for example, the emails, then lobbying, meeting politicians, managing other social media platforms. Uh, there are more people who go, who give lectures at school and, uh, and yeah, many, many more roles. And how many of you are there? At least in the Estonia branch. Uh, well, it's sort of difficult to say because we don't have any official membership or anything like that. But I'd say there are up to 10 uh, active members who go to meetings regularly and so on. And then probably a few dozen more who have been active at some point or that we can contact and give them a specific task like, you know, come to this strike and take photos or something like that. And then they'll come and, uh, and help, but they are not uh, in this core group. Okay, and how much do you collaborate with the Latvian and Lithuanian branches? Because I know in the panel discussion there were, I think, all three countries mm-hmm. represented. So uh, how much do you usually usually do th- uh, things with them? Actually, unfortunately, quite little. Uh, but last year uh, in spring we organized this uh, Baltic Climate Change together. So uh, it was basically the same event happening at the same time in uh, all three capitals. And uh, in Estonia it was also in a few other towns. So that was, I think, uh, like that's the main collaboration that we've had. But now we're thinking about maybe we'll organize uh, an event for the for the activists from different countries so we could uh, meet and network and uh, and collaborate more. And uh, also I talked to the Latvian activists and uh, we realized how much we have to share actually, that what experiences they have and that I feel that could be really useful for us and also they felt that they could learn a lot from us. So I think the collaboration will be a lot more active after this event. Okay, so it's only just beginning. I think so. Well, there's a lot of room for improvement and I think we shall use that. And why do you think it's important to uh, bring the movement out uh, into these kinds of events and uh, talk about it more? Well, I think one of the benefits that of this uh, panel discussion was that exactly all the well, the activists from all those uh, countries, we met there, we shared our each other's stories and, and we learned from each other. So that will facilitate future collaboration. But I think uh, for the audiences, the main takeaway is that they get to know more about about the movement, like what's going on behind the scenes. Who are those people organizing the events? What are they thinking about? Why are they doing what they're doing? So and And I hope this will help them connect better with the movement and maybe be more engaged in it. Okay, so thank you and good luck in your future endeavors. So that was a short interview with a young Fridays for Future activist here in Estonia. And now to move on to our last um, part of this uh, podcast today, what you can do, because something needs to be done and uh, to get the best results, everyone needs to do their part. Of course, the first uh, recommendation that I'm going to be giving is the same as last time. One of the best ways to start in uh, climate activism 
in the climate justice movement is, of course, to educate yourself. Educate yourself and others on uh, different uh, topics regarding to climate justice um, and environmental problems, because uh, the more you know, the better you can coordinate your own actions in your daily life. You can make better decisions uh, based on the information you have. And as I mentioned uh, already last time also, you do not have to be anyone else's Google. People have the ability to educate themselves, but a gentle nudge maybe, a short conversation about these things can be beneficial because um, many people can, can be very occupied with their own daily problems and might not even have thought about that they should change something in their own behavior. So try not to be very aggressive, try not to be judgy, just like, hey, some information, maybe something you want to think about. This is why I make these and these decisions in my daily life, my consumption. And coming out from uh, that last sentence, many people would recommend uh, going vegan or, or at least vegetarian to eat a more plant-based diet. Because if you opt for a less meat-based uh, diet, you can reduce uh, carbon emissions and other greenhouse gas emissions. Because um, the food production industry is one of the biggest uh, producers of uh, global greenhouse gas emissions. It is said that it's uh, roughly around 30% of the total emissions. So that's uh, quite a lot. Also, a more plant-based diet is um, seen as more sustainable. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should stop eating meat altogether. But it would be better to eat more local food to support uh, your local farmers. Uh, because if you eat more local food, then the carbon footprint... Um, on getting that food to you is um, smaller and the smaller carbon footprint means that less uh, carbon dioxide is produced therefore less greenhouse gas and um, less climate change another problem with meat uh, meat production is the fact that um, when land is used to raise animals instead of crops precious uh, water and soil are lost trees are also being cut down uh, to make land for grazing or factory farm sheds. And sometimes even untreated animal waste can um, pollute uh, rivers and streams, so it destroys even more water sources. Trees being cut down, as we already mentioned, is bad because trees, uh, let's say, eat the carbon dioxide that contributes to climate change. So all of these play a role in climate change. A fun fact here for you is that um, if we all went vegan, the world's food-related emissions would drop uh, by 70% in the next 30 years. So just a fun fact. But here I'd like to say it's very important also to talk about the fact that personal choices, yes, they are important, but the real polluters and aggressors to the environment are still big corporations because um, you can reduce your consumption, you can reduce uh, the meat you eat, you can eat only a plant-based diet, sort your trash, so on and so forth. But if the largest producers, the big corporations, the big companies all around the world don't change their ways, 
then your own personal small actions are just not enough to combat climate change in any meaningful way. It's hard to say, but that's just how it is. So yeah, if many, many people become vegan, then um, all these big companies are forced to change the way they produce and what they produce. But uh, I think the best way to take action here in the climate justice debate would be the protest. Yeah, to uh, force your government to make better political decisions regarding the environment, to make um, the European Union make better choices, to make uh, the United Nations make better choices. So basically uh, it would be much better to get these um, solutions from the top down as that would make uh, such a more meaningful change and altogether be better for the environment and get these processes and these changes to save the planet from dying really moving. If you feel like you want to stand somewhere with a sign and let your opinion to be known, then uh, I have already mentioned the Fridays for Future that has branches uh, in Estonia, in Latvia and Lithuania. You can contact your respective uh, country's organization to see how you can uh, help them, how you can protest with them. And also another organization that uh, might not be as strong here, but has had quite an impact in uh, other countries, is called the Extinction Rebellion. So maybe also learn about what they do and maybe contribute also to their work. But like last time, I would uh, take my time and also point out here that if you do not have the mental energy to help an organization or go protest or, or deal with these things, you can maybe just very slowly read up on these topics, slowly educate yourself, because knowledge is a very important tool. So yeah, just uh, take care of yourself first. And then if you feel better, then you can start helping others also. We're now coming to a close. This has been the episode on climate justice today. A very brief introduction into the topic. As always, these uh, topics are quite more nuanced and quite more scientifically nuanced than I could cover here. And uh, we won't even have the time for that. I think there are other podcasts that go into the ETBT details, if that's what interests you more. But this has been a very brief uh, overview of the main topics in this discussion. As always, um, to find uh, some organizations in the Baltics that deal in environmental and uh, climate justice, uh, look at the show notes. These organizations and their websites will be linked there. So I have been Treen talking to you today about climate justice. I am now going to treat myself to some nice vegan snacks, even though I am not vegan yet. And for you, dear listeners, as always, try to stay safe. And I hope you're having a lovely day. Take care. <laughs>